0: Welcome to Three Devs and a Maybe, the podcast series for beginner web
1: developers and general web enthusiasts. Now introducing your show hosts, Michael Budd, Fraser Hart, Lewis Keynes, and Ed Mann.
0: Hello and welcome to another episode of Three Devs and a Maybe. My name is Ed Mann and today we are very lucky to be joined by Cammy Baldock. Hello Cammy. That's- Hello again. It's almost like deja vu. It's not like we've done this five (laughs) minutes ago at all. Um, (laughs) uh, For the audience, so um, what we'll probably know actually, audience, is that I've been doing a lot of API work recently uh, in my day job. And, you know, my, my API usage and kind of what I've, you know, been doing a lot, you know, throughout the years has been pretty progressive of what kind of the norm is really you know you have like some you know trivial endpoints that you have a bit of documentation for then you move up to the quotes restful stuff um you know and then like now what i've been able to do is start looking into things like hypermedia apis um and you know obviously any new topic any new concept you know you hit google you try and find out you know resources and one of the good resources that i actually found online and one of the well one of the first as well was kami's uh, video uh from last i think it was um late last year and yep. it was a video talking about hypermedia APIs and going through them in a really concrete, you know, nice way. So I thought, why not try and get Cammie on, on the podcast to maybe discuss further and, yeah, kind of, yeah, talk about all these different concepts and stuff. So unfortunately, she said, you know, she was kind enough, too. So hello, Cammy.
1: <laughs> Hi, Ed. It's a pleasure to be on the show. <laughs> Again, hello.
0: <laughs> um, yeah, so so uh, how are things going?
1: Oh, really well. I'm just studying at home about to geek out about APIs. So, oh, yeah, it's looking good. good.
0: good. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I mean, I don't know if you know the format of the show. Typically, what we do is we kind of, you know, we have like a, a main topic, which is ours going to be API, but it's, it's kind of nice to kind of get a feel for like, you know, the, the, the guest and how they got into programming. So, I don't know if you'd mind like to maybe explain to the audience how you got into programming.
1: Oh sure. Um I actually studied mathematics and then moved on to general engineering and by the end of my degree it kind of hit me that most of the stuff I've been really enjoying was writing the code to implement all the theoretical nicenesses was that in matlab uh, presented with um sorry
0: was that in matlab by any chance
1: no, it- my God. I've written some, like, OCaml mathematics
0: stuff. <laughs> wow, that is and, cool.
1: And my actual real, like, production-worthy program that, like, got used by real humans, I wrote when I was 18, and it's, like, 150 pages of Fortran. Oh,
0: <laughs> that is <laughs> pretty is, awesome. Um,
1: yeah. <laughs> It's something else. Uh, but then I got into like actual sort of doing things for the internet uh, and I've been doing basic API work for the last seven, seven-ish years. Um, started out as a development agency doing like lots of client work, all had various kinds of APIs from the like horrendous soap to the like really quite interested microservice architecture and yeah, been doing it ever since.
0: Awesome. and and I suppose there you know like so you you kind of transitioned into you know what 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 programming languages do you currently use then what what your main probably not Fortran I'm, I'm guessing as a, a client and not <laughs> on a day to day basis
1: <laughs> uh, my day job at the moment is a mix of Python, Ruby, and java
0: very nice, nice mix uh, and, and how did you get into apis then so because you, cause you I, I suppose like while well, you're like, the way you kind of speak about your job, you are specific on apis is
1: I think that's one of my main interests. And if you start doing contracts that involve like web applications that are a bit big and a bit complex, then I I defy you to find a place that doesn't have some kind of problem with APIs. Um, So it doesn't need to be like the most beautifully publicly documented API, but everyone- They come in
0: all shapes and sizes.
1: Exactly. And everybody's dealing with their own internal contracts between their different services. And there's always, if you're doing web work, there's APIs. So Yeah. (laughs)
0: <laughs> I suppose the first question I'd like to ask about the APIs then is, where did you start off? Like, what what, what kind of first APIs did you really dabble with? And, you know, the kind of, the most, image, not image I wouldn't say immature, but the most rudimentary APIs you've seen in the past?
1: Um, well, I think my first APIs were literally like really old soap stuff with, you know, get post requests and just trying to integrate with existing services. Um, that's kind of what, when I started discovering the, the all the different things that were out there is just, you have this list of services that you're trying to integrate with, and they all have their different specifications and more or less good documentation. I'm trying to make sense of all this and be like, oh, what does that, all this stuff mean? What am I supposed to do with this? Uh, so it's gone all the way from like horrendous, really old, um, like dot net services that were very soapy, uh, to pretty good, good well documented hyper media APIs out there. I mean, do you see a lot
0: of soap in the wild now? Is there still a lot of it in the work you do?
1: So, full disclosure, most of my current clients over the last two years have been government clients. Ah. So... They are there are like a lot of legacy systems that you have to integrate with, and yeah you still see some soap uh, because for a number of reasons, whether it be budget or just the service literally hasn't changed in ten years because the requirements haven't changed, you still have to integrate with it, it yeah helps.
0: no I mean that makes sense doesn't it and, and 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 for what actually is soap because I suppose for our audience we're kind of people probably actually may have never even used soap, they've probably just gone straight into in quote rest restful in, uh, APIs what, what um, is this thing called soap <laughs> well,
1: well soap is just like a way of writing XML so it's an envelope and a markup language around XML and it's you can see it a lot in sort of dot net services and some old Java services because that's how they used to write their web service domain language and it's all like based on that envelope um, so it doesn't like necessarily go against the concept of rest if that makes sense but it's usually a sign of uh, it's quite a like legacy system this is the markup that was predominant at the time and therefore it is very rare that you see like proper resources and proper use of HTTP verbs yeah. on those APIs it typically so just not,
0: post I'm assuming that you just get a post and they'll just do everything through that even re-implementing yeah. things or, like caches or it and can things. get
1: even worse sometimes it's like all get even oh, no. <laughs> you're actually modifying things <laughs> which goes against you know what everything. HTTP status actually is mind-boggling <laughs> <laughs>
0: oh, dear. And, and, and then, so, yeah, moving on from that then. So you've got the soaps. Then then I suppose you get these kind of ad hoc endpoints that may return some XML or some JSON, even some YAML, whatever. Um, you know, I, I suppose... Where where do you kind of see – because uh, you go through these stages, you know, like SOAP's very much, I feel, you know, is, is, is as you say, like the corporate kind of, you know, and it's – it's, I mean, it's quite nice that, you know, it's got this idea of wizards and they can easily create skeletons within IDEs and then you've got that kind of way. And I suppose it's then that there's the self-documentation with types and things like that. And then you get into these ad hoc endpoints. Um, and I suppose from there, where, where do, when do you – need like – is there a need to move up to different ones or like do do you find that there's pain you know like the reason why you'd move from soap maybe to an ad hoc one or from soap to a restful one
1: so uh the reason why you would move to one to the other is god it depends (laughs) haha we're gonna start let's start a counter for the number of times i say it depends on this podcast and it's gonna get really high um so why you would want to move from like an old-ish implementation to sort of a more restful implementation is more like who is consuming your API and what kind of like how many clients do you have and how like decoupled you wish to be so the main reason why people want to move like eventually move out from the sort of like swamp of the plain old XML is they realize that like A, they want to have like a better use of their resources across the company and start having like the same kind of contracts on their different APIs. So that usually pushes the whole every single thing has ad hoc API endpoints. that doesn't mean anything to, Oh, let's start defining our resources and let's, let's start using HTTP. Yeah, exactly. And then usually the sort of second step is they've started looking at, they start focusing on their like URL structures and things like that. And it's weird because sometimes people like get attached to, all those like, let's define all our names and our URL structures properly, then spend a few years doing that, realize that they've hard coded all over their different services, all these URLs and that changing their contracts and changing the names of their resources and they have versioning problems and then it gets really painful at that point, realize that all their things are too tightly coupled and then they start looking at hypermedia controls. So that they are going like the next level on their existing resources, and instead of saying, "I promise that you know my post slash users slash cami slash appointments is going to do this," they're going to say, "I'm just going to promise that I have this operation called get a point, uh, you know, post an appointment to a user." And like how I implement this, I'm going to define it in such and such a way. And you don't need to hard code all these details in your That client. is,
0: yeah, the hard coding has got to be. I think um, APIs is one of those things where anyone, uh, you, you talk to any developer, they said, yeah, I've built an API. And, you know, it's relatively easy to be able, and that's the thing, to be able to put up a simple JSON response to, you know, a request and then I say yeah that's an API and then it's the pain of realizing how you know firstly you've got this idea of you know documentation that you've got a right for the API and you know with SOAP there is already internal documentation almost and and with REST then you know you can kind of maybe get you know like some kind of intuition oh you know if I'm going to get that resource it's just going to give it to me if I'm going to put to that it'll it'll patch it you know it may replace it you know and if I'm going to post it it's going to create it and things like that but like you say moving up the scale and and, and there's something called the Richardson maturity model yeah, or, yeah I, and I was wondering, could you explain that? Like, that's to do with rest, isn't it?
1: Oh, yeah. So it's 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 a four level like pyramid, if that's even a thing. So the, your level one is you're in this, God, what's the name the swamp of pox they call it, <laughs> which I find is hilarious. It's just you're in this like this plain old XML all over the place, and so nothing is really properly defined in terms of resources. Your level and would you would and, you put that
0: soap soaps defined in that level? Is that right, um,
1: or is I that put, I would put a lot of applications that use the soap markup yeah. in that level mostly because of usually it's their age but y- you can use like, you could use soap in a hypermedia like that is technically possible to like do hypermedia that
0: would be pretty impressive
1: <laughs> but but why would you because it doesn't support as much as all the other types of markups what you're trying to do um anyway so you've got your swamp of plain old xml and then you're moving up to the next level, which are resources, which starts looking at how do you handle complexity, uh, like divide and conquer your services, like not have one endpoint that returns everything, but starting to define your business in terms of like concepts and resources, like your users and your appointments and your whatever the hell you're building. Um So at that point, it, some people like map it really well to their domain Um so you start having things that are the correct names for the business and they start making sense to people. Um, and then on top of that, once you have defined your resources, the next level is using HTTP verbs. So it's sticking as close as possible to the HTTP like, standard set of like get, post, put, delete... And handle similar situations that would happen to a, s- a specific resource in the same kind of way. So if you have a user, you can, you know, get it, post on it to, um, to add information or delete it. And once you've done with all that, then there's the glory of rest, which comes <laughs> at the highest level, which is hypermedia controls.
0: So doing level zero to two or, uh, or you know, zero, like one, two, three and four, uh, one, two and three, you know, pox and then resources and you're not at rest then? Is that not because because I think at the time of perceptions, everyone thinks I'm now restful. I've now using the verbs and I've got these amazing resources that have got these lovely names that I'm so attached to and and things like that.
1: So if you take rest as this is what is defined by Roy Roy Thomas fielding paper and the fielding dissertation, then no, you're technically (laughs) doing rest. If your API doesn't have some kind of discoverability and some kind of way of making your, like, whatever protocol you have a bit more self documenting, Um, that's a very hand wavy way of saying it. So, yeah.
0: Uh, and as, uh, as she moves on to saying, like, yeah, because REST standing for Representational State Transfer, which is quite a mm-hmm. quite a mouthful, is from Royal Thomas Fielding, and yes. it, it's, it, I mean, it's been it's early; it was two thousand, I think, his paper was yeah. released. Yeah, and 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 I suppose that was in the heyday of soap and things like that. And I mean, soap has its own way of being able to s- discover things with whistles. Um, so, how do then you uh, how are you able to discover RESTful services? That must is that come does that come in level three the hypermedia?
1: What? So, yes, like discoverability really happens only when you have hypermedia controls. Otherwise, you're still hard coding your whatever your URIs are and need to know what those URIs are and their contract to be able to do anything. Whereas hypermedia gives you like the next level of I have a resource, what can I do with it now uh, type of type of concerns. I so think... It doesn't
0: mean uh, documentation, like external documentation. It means this is, it's kind of in the story, the flow of that resource at that time.
1: Yeah, so I wouldn't, I wouldn't consider. Uh, if you imagine the perfect, like, hypermedia API existing out there, I wouldn't consider just that API to be sufficient documentation for someone just to be able to pick up and use it. I know that's like some somewhat of a controversial statement, but literally, no one is going to look at every single one of your yeah. endpoints to figure out what your API does, right? You still need to say. This is vaguely the resources that I have. And this is the kind of operations that you can do. Uh, and this is my contract to you uh, developers and people who integrate with me. Like this, these are the rep- operations I have. Don't you mind about what addresses they're at, but those are the operations. Um, and like, this is the message format that I use. I doesn't matter about how you serialize your whatever JSON, but this is the message format. And by the way, this is how you transition from one state to the next.
0: And I think that that is the thing then with hypermedia and adding that on is this idea of state transformations. And and along with hypermedia, there's this horrible acronym called HATOS. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I'm just wondering, would you mind to explain to the audience what exactly is HATOS?
1: Hypertext as the engine of application state, (laughs) which is completely unhelpful (laughs) to just explain the, the, the acronym. Um, it is actually just that. It is using hypertext to basically tell your users and your clients where they are in your API process flow and what your transitions are.
0: Awesome. And, and what does this, what is the advantage then? So, I, I mean, you, you could, uh, you know, in another sense, you know, be able to say, okay, I've got a REST API, not in the raw fielding sense, because I'm not using level three, but I've got some good documentation and people can mm-hmm. use it that way. Uh, the transition to hypermedia, what, what, what advantages? does it have a, over the having like a bunch of externally documented MP, apis
1: right so endpoints, it sorry. <laughs> yeah it depends <laughs> um so if so a lot of apis you're sort of mapping some kind of process right your user is trying to accomplish something the usual like boring example is booking an appointment but i think about most apis these days you're not just trying to read one piece of data you're just like actually interacting with it in a sensible process type way. So what you don't want to do, for example, in the book an appointment example, is tell all of your clients, okay, so first you need to get the like person you're trying to book an appointment and this is the hard-coded URL that you will use. And then once you have that person, you will look at like that field, which is their user ID, and then you will look at their availability. So that's this other API endpoint. And then given their availability and yours, and you can post to this third API endpoint and figure out what's going on. So here you've you've already got like three hard-coded things. So, well, if you have a contract, you can't change them, right? Ah, Because you don't want all of your clients to fail over. Because the last thing you want to do is be blocked to change all these things because you're basically bound to your slowest client to adapt. So not only is it painful for you, but it's also a pain for your clients. So what you can do here is say, all right, so there is an operation where you can book an appointment with a person. And this is the name of your operation. And then the, the, our contract with you is that every time you click like next or some kind of dynamic like name that you give to your process, it will take you to the next step that you need to accomplish to do that. So if your business process changes and suddenly you need to do like an extra step in terms of like, I don't know, getting a confirmation of the user's phone number before you book an appointment, I don't even know, um, that is in your dynamic process flows and your clients won't, break horribly and it's easier for you because you can still change a few things about your api and not break the contract you have with your client
0: that's it yeah right it is the contract that you you don't want to break and you know if you have these you know because i think one thing with hypermedia that first got with me was the whole idea of if you're generating urls it's a sin. It, you should not be cr- manually creating these URLs. You should always be returned what you what you can do next. And right. it should be the responsibility of the server to give that to you so as to, you know, then, then the responsibility for changing it and updating it r- remains with the server as opposed to, as you say, the the least, you know, the, the client that's le- like the last to change. You don't have to worry about that anymore.
1: That's right. And you can still provide like a list of, hey, this is all the endpoints. This is literally everything my API does. But my real contract with you is not to never change those URLs. My contract with you is to always provide these operations in always the same type of message format. And like, that's your promise. And it's much easier promise to fulfill than like never changing any hard coded URL ever.
0: And that, that's it. And and as you say, Uh, it changes the story may change as well um you know the way you've been explaining you know this idea of a story that's going through and you know having this idea you know maybe you want to add something into the process you know having this idea that allowing you know the server again to have responsibility for this you're able then to add extra you know uh, you know kind of parts to the story and I think that was really cleverly done in your video that was recorded was uh you know to do with the little prince I thought that was really interesting you know adding in and and then you were saying like you know within the story so you had this you know obviously you know ABC you know the story chapter book but then you wanted the only story of the prince and things like that I thought it was a really well well put
1: right I think I was trying to find an example where essentially you have this concept of resources and things and the way you want to navigate them is going to change. But like, you never want to break the whole, I want to be able to read my book and go from page to page and be fine with that. Um, but like as a user, I just want to be like, give me page one and then next is page two and next is page three. But then I might want to skip into additional context and still want to be able to go back to these things without knowing that I need to go to a slash book slash book like i unique idea of the book slash pages slash two that's
0: a not nice <laughs>
1: <laughs> and, and i mean
0: that because i think that's another that was a common misconception of me actually with my kind of idea of hypermedia was then, you know, it was like thinking, oh, I can remove my documentation now. You know, my it's like this idea of self-documenting code. It's a self-documenting API. But uh, you say it's really <laughs> the abstractions are that the abstractions are there because you want to be able to again the responsibility to, get to the server to be able to say this is what you can do next or this is right. what you can do at this time, so I can change this as opposed to no, this is not like the documentation that you can read.
1: Right. So it. If- That's the problem with when you say discoverability. It's not like here's the root of my API. Go have fun. Yeah. Don't go, don't
0: load up postman (laughs) now and just go and play with it. And you're going to understand it completely at this time.
1: Exactly. Because there is still documentation about, okay, so these are all my operations. Here is in human terms what they do. And here is how you're going to evolve from one operation to another. And here's the keywords that I use. And those keywords are never going to change. Like you put them in the rel, or whatever it is that you use in your markup to do that. But like that's the stuff that doesn't change. Your URLs change. The shape of your resources may change a bit, but not that.
0: And so, so no, it doesn't,
1: doesn't replace documentation in any not- way. Yep. Yeah, uh, and
0: with Hype, so there's one endpoint that's fixed almost, and that is the start, the roots. You you go to there, and then you're able to start the story. Am I right in thinking
1: that
0: um, you need to know where to start at least? I suppose with the-
1: yeah, it depends, but yes, like if, eventually, if you're saying I have an API that does something, you will still be somewhere on the internet. So whatever you do, you're kind of bound to saying yeah. I'm available at <laughs> API dot or blah, right? Um. Then what you do with that and what level of granularity you can have with that with different journeys and whether you actually want everything at the root or whether you want actually several like root URLs. Kind of split them out. Yeah, it really depends. That really depends on your domain and what your users are trying to get do with it. And it doesn't, you can still provide like access to all of your URLs and list them if people really want to go there, but You're not promising that you're not going to change them. You're promising that all these journeys are not going to break.
0: That's it. And, and that's what I was going to ask, actually, is kind of your opinion and kind of your... And I say, it, I'm, I'm pretty sure I know what the answer is going to be. But, you know, with... Um, it's always <laughs> it depends. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, it's, it's really, you know, see this idea, go start going through these stories. It's really quite nice because especially when designing these APIs, it, I find it far more gratifying and actually playing a story out as opposed to just thinking in resources and, you know, really, the, you know, telling the story in the design of the api as opposed to just saying oh here's a lump of data um did you feel that that hypermedia um is really a replacement for everything or do you feel there is still intent you know requirements for just these endpoints that just have a load of data and that you know you can do whatever you want with Uh it depends (laughs) (laughs) i knew it i knew it (laughs) (laughs)
1: um i think it so it really depends on what kind of service you're building so and the reason I'm saying that is um, some services so so let's assume, for example, you're publishing a massive API that is literally something for users to look at. Uh, I work in government, so the first like obvious example I can think of is here's loads of stats yep. about what we're doing at the moment, and it's like transparency data. there is no like specific journey through it. It's more like you have a citizen come in and it's like, I'm interested in this particular subject on this date. What stats do you have?
0: That's it. Yeah. This is
1: where a hypermedia API, like what are you actually going to get out of it? I'm not quite sure what you are, what you can do though is say, "I I will, however, promise to have like slash transparency data slash, let's say labor market. And under there, I will list all my resources and like, I do promise that that root URL is not going to go away and all those resources are going to stay there. But this is something different, right? You're, you're looking at different types of things. Some of these are, this is data that is supposed to live not quite forever, but basically forever for reasons of transparency and things like that. And some other APIs are not about forever readable data, it's sort of encyclopedia of the internet type APIs, but rather My user is trying to do this operation with me and I'm going to get them through the process.
0: That's it. At this time, that's what they need to do. Exactly.
1: And some domains never change and some domains change all the time. So your business operations are going to change all the time. But the fact that, for example, you have a list of postcodes in the UK or you have a list of police stations mapped to postcodes, you don't, need a hyper, you don't necessarily need a hypermedia API over that. You just need, you know, slash police station slash postcode. It gives you your police stations. I don't know.
0: <laughs> that, no, Absolutely. And as you say, it does depend. And it's the design because an API is very much tied to the business needs and the business requirements and the business domain you're in. Um, and, you know, adding this kind of hypermedia stuff on top only plays, a, you, know, a, you know, a good part, you know, only adds, you know, value to the, the actual, you know, finished product if yeah. you do have these stories.
1: So, and I also argue that, so hypermedia is sort of seen because you see the public API documentation. I'm a much bigger advocate of them also internally, as in if you have lots of multidisciplinary teams doing lots of different things in different parts of your service, you're all in charge of your like part of the product that does something vaguely specific. And your team is in charge of the, like the intricacies of that process. And so what you want instead of, you know, if your process changes a bit, you don't want to bother like seven of the other teams to change their code. What you want to do is provide something consistent for your code to be decoupled from the rest of the, from the rest of your product. So a lot of people are like, ooh, hypermedia on the outside. But to me, there's an even bigger win trying to experiment with it within as internal APIs because it gives you all this good decoupling. And by that, I mean, sorry, I'm ranting a bit here. No, that's fine. Um, but if you're sort of starting to work with basically more than five developers and you start having a multiple number of teams working on the same product, eventually what happens is you you want to have your little like domains of expertise within your product. And th- the best way is having a good internal contract and not having to like duplicate the work all the time between the teams. So... The way I've seen hypermedia APIs work really well is facilitating that, is facilitating your multidisciplinary team to just go along and work on the product and refine the business process and change the code as a team without breaking up everyone else's stuff. And in that way, your thing is still vaguely like deployable quite independently from the other services and it, you're just shipping things quicker that way. And there is a lot of talk about that inside like big uh, companies and bigger services simply because we're looking at either like i know the microservices is the buzzword at the moment but <laughs> a lot of people are trying to see how they can you know be able to do like continuous integration continuous deployment and deploy the multiple parts of the service independently and having these contracts that you know are hypermedia apis instead of hard coded things is a way to facilitate that
0: Absolutely. And, and with that then, because you've got hypermedia APIs, um, then it's obviously the technologies that are, have been implemented to help facilitate that. Um, right. And there's a lot of them. Um, yeah. and, and there's, you know, there's no agreed upon standard, if I'm right in thinking right. at this time, it's really, you know, there's a couple that you can choose from a couple of big players. Um, I'm just wondering if you could maybe go through some and kind of what way where, what experience you've had with them?
1: right so this is the let's we're diving in right into the cons of hypermedia api because (laughs) like my god there's a lot of stuff out there
0: it's Um, because it's become a buzzword in itself hasn't it as you say microservices has hypermedia is is very much that as well where people say it but then they probably don't do it or they probably just think of it as the tooling around it as opposed to the philosophy of it being these stories and the idea is to break up
1: Yeah, I kind of feel like most of the technical buzzwords, though, that that's the case, right? There is a million definitions of agile and microservice and hypermedia, and everybody's got their own flavor going on, and it's all a bit difficult to make sense of it. But so internally, the choices that you have to make when you decide to go hypermedia, it kind of depends what you have already in place and where you're going. So the big players in terms of actually formatting, um, like, yeah, the, the, oh, how, how would I say that? So the big sort of formats that people are playing with, there is, uh, JSON LD, there's How uh, collection plus JSON and Siren, and there's even like Uber and there's JSON API. <laughs> and it goes and
0: on, and on, on and on and on. There's all
1: these buzzwords, uh, kicking around. Um, but essentially you're, you're making three choices. Uh, when you're actually choosing technology. And I don't believe they need to be essentially the same one for the entire company or the entire product. Um, So the first choice you're kind of making is how am I going to describe my data in my service? So you're looking at sort of JSON API type definitions or JSON schema. And the next part you're going to do is how am I defining sort of the hypermedia structure of my API. And there you can look at JSON-LD and how, collection plus JSON, siren. And then finally, you have to make the choice of if I am to implement, let's say, prototypes and trying to design those APIs, what kind of markup language can I use to communicate these possible changes to the API that I want to make uh, so that everyone can have a look at it. So that's the RAML API blueprint swaggers of this world. Um, So... Back back to where I started. So if you look at uh, JSON-LD, for example, my experience of it, it's been really great once you have an existing, and I'm going to put restful between massive air quotes, though <laughs> you can't see that because this is a podcast. Uh, it's great for augmenting existing restful between air quotes APIs uh, without introducing breaking changes. Um So it's kind of a good way to go from, all right, I have my resources and they're returned as JSON and now I can self-document my API through this specification. And if I want to add actions onto that without breaking my existing contracts, I can also get, look into Hydra as part of that, where I can define my actions uh, as part of that. And there's all kinds of schemas around that. json LD is great for transi- transitioning, but it is not the most lightweight thing you can do so I've used it successfully on small JSON APIs that had tons and tons of resources, where we wanted to augment just a few of the endpoints right. uh, with a bit of documentation and a bit of like this is my next action, um, but without wanting to overhaul the entire product.
0: Without yeah, without so this wouldn't as you say wouldn't break do any breaking changes. It would just enhance exactly. To, yeah.
1: So I, the couple of ones I, I really enjoyed doing was. So we have this this business process that it was breaking all the time because there are lots of legal changes or policy changes around how you do this operation, and this is where we added a tiny bit of JSON LD and Hydra so that the co- we changed the code that had all these URLs hard coded and we're, we're just looking at those Hydra things. So the entire API isn't proper hypermedia; like you can't navigate it as a whole. It doesn't document itself, but the couple of business processes that were particularly volatile are now with a next action. That's not the variables Uh, there.
0: You've uh, been able to inject a variable into the areas that you need to be able to switch them there.
1: As Yeah. So, yes, this isn't the most consistent design across the endpoints, uh, yes, this isn't proper hypermedia because my entire API is not discoverable, but has it delivered one of the values that is important to one of my <laughs> clients, which is let's not break our contract all the time and have something that we can change as the policy and as the legal stuff changes. Then yeah, it did, it did do the work. So I would recommend that for, I have an existing thing and. I kind of don't want to overhaul the entire thing because it would cost me way too much time and money but I want to transition slowly to
0: doing that. Well, would would the transition would it eventually need a full you know a full rewrite or would this be able to be a, tr- a small transition would you slowly be able to bring up Jason LD uh, LD to the point of the next step or
1: So I've had two examples. One of them was it was so massive that there was no way in hell we would have the resource to do it. <laughs> and that sort of solved the problem. And there were a lot of very highly used endpoints and a few endpoints that we unfortunately couldn't get rid of because we had promised those URLs. This is why you don't do it in the first place. <laughs> um, and the second one was really interesting because... Uh, so- the lawyers and the policy people who were looking at the process thought that was, this was really good and we should do the same things with the other endpoints. And then suddenly we Jason LD'd the entire thing. And that was awesome. Um, But it was driven from a, Oh, we could map out those business processes. And then every time that law changes, then we can just go talk to our business owners and go talk to our developers and they will make the correct changes. But all of the other services aren't going to break horribly. Uh, So it gives you a bit of flexibility there. That was much appreciated by the lawyers. (laughs) I
0: can imagine. I can imagine that, yeah.
1: So augmenting existing APIs, yeah, my experience, Jason LD, quite good. If you're doing it from scratch and you're trying to convince people who are a bit new to the world of uh, hypermedia, I found HAL to be particularly useful, uh, especially if you live in XML world, because um, HAL has a bit more maturity when it comes to, uh, yeah, it's more of an XML thing as far as I've seen. Now, I could be wrong. Maybe there's some beautiful Jason Howe thing existing out there. Um, but it's quite lightweight. That's, that's a good part of it. It's, it's not too much complexity in your code. It's really quite easy to implement. So that's... Yeah, we,
0: we found how to be very much a nice start, you know, to kind of this way of thinking, you know, where it's a very much simple, here are your links, here are your embeds, and here's your data. And yeah. that's it. You know, you can main. You know, you can really kind of keep the concepts you already know, and you just know that these are the places where they're meant to stay.
1: Exactly. So it's quite like It's quite easy to implement. It's easy to convince people that it's probably not a horrible idea. <laughs> um, but but again, there is a lack of support for specifying some actions, right? So a bit like you have to use Hydra if you're doing JSON LD stuff to specify actions. Like this is where how falls short because in order to specify your actions, there's not really anything shipped as part of it. But you know, yeah, it
0: would just be the endpoint, wouldn't it? It'd be a link, and then yeah, this is, the, and you wouldn't know whether to put to that to post. You know, whatever you do, you don't know exactly.
1: Right. But then it depends what your business domain is, and you might not need to go into like a lot, a lot of different actions. So you know, fair enough. But sometimes you do need that. So if you do need like a full-fledged quite powerful and you don't and you don't really need to augment like bit by bit your existing api then i would turn to the sort of siren collection JSON of this world i haven't played with uber i've heard good things but that's why i'm not going to talk about it it's just i don't know um but yeah siren to me is really quite hard to implement because there's not that much stuff out there yet um, and you need to have developers who are into reading white papers and understanding
0: what it is. <laughs> so, Which? is it? Is there, are there are there many implementations for languages, or is it very much you have to write your own?
1: So, there is some stuff in Java that I know of, but I haven't seen that many very well supported implementations out there. Again, could be horribly wrong because <laughs> things do change.
0: They change overnight.
1: <laughs> um. So please prove me wrong, <laughs> but. Uh, it's really good if you're trying to do like generic stuff uh, at large scale and it does like it it doesn't have a problem of how where you have to have all your actions in there so
0: all right because guess what yeah so what are the differences then with that compared to how what yeah what
1: does it offer so siren introduces the concept of like classes to your different models so gives some kind of Type information to your API responses. And this is probably why I've been doing it in retrospect. It's because I've been working with lots of Java developers and that's why it appeals. <laughs> <laughs> so don't listen to me. Maybe I'm just extremely biased. <laughs> um, but yeah, so yeah, I've done Siren XML Java stuff. It works well if you have lots of generic concepts and yep. and you need to like put your types in there. And then finally, Collection JSON is really unfortunately named because it's actually really good at single stuff, not just collections.
0: <laughs> I think that, yeah, that, that's what When I started looking at it, you essentially collection and you're like, no, why, why name it this? Why tie it to, you know, yeah, as you say, a bad naming for it.
1: Yeah. So I quite like it because it, it does like, it gives you like collection boards and different templates that people can use to edit your stuff. Yeah. Uh, so the only successful thing that I've done in collection JSON, the other stuff, it just seemed like overkill for what I was doing. Uh, it's been basically a mass think like a wiki type implementation. So you've got a bunch of data that lots of people are editing at the same time um, and they're all editing it in different ways. So you've got a bunch of like users editing the same data And that works quite well because you can define all your templates that people can use to alter your stuff and your list of stuff. So that's quite nice. So crowdsourcing of, we were doing like crowdsourcing of locations and crowdsourcing of different resources across government. And that worked quite well.
0: So at this time then, did you pick the the right kind of library or quite like standard for that project at that time, as opposed to having one that you feel works well with the majority?
1: I would still like just choose whatever works well with my project and what I'm trying to do. And it is kind of disconcerting that there are that many sort of different protocols and it's kind of hard to keep in touch with everything.
0: Is there, is there, is there kind of becoming like, are they all kind of crossroads a little bit where they're going to start, you know, maybe becoming a one standard, but, or do you reckon that would never be the case that you all have, you know, these distinct paths to choose and they're just mature at their own rate?
1: Right. So I would hope that eventually like a couple of them would win. But as I see it at the moment with a lot of the sort of blogs and talks and stuff that is going around, there doesn't seem to be one that is chosen. And I'm not, I'm not that sad about it. So to, on, on some side there is the, Ooh, none of these standards fit what I'm doing. I'm just going to define a new, you know, def- do a yep, new, I'm do my thing. boom, you have a new standard <laughs> Uh, with a cool name
0: past- and there you go, and a GitHub repository and it's out there.
1: Exactly. It's just, there's a classic XKCD cartoon about that. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> um, on the other side, I'm not actually that fussed because um, I just want to prop, I don't actually care about saying my entire company will use HAL, um because all I care about is I promise that there will be these operations and that's, that's going to be their yep. message format. That's it. Yep.
0: That's it. That absolutely, and that is then the, the hypermedia way that it gives you that flexibility of choosing what you need. Yeah. On the top level, highest level, it is doing the same thing and doing this for you.
1: Yeah, I think it's interesting because you you have Restful, which was you know the dissertation was written by someone who was like probably the like expert in HTTP and what it even means. Um, but those things are changing too, and you have like HTTP two coming, and people are whispering about HTTP three and what that's kind of means in terms of how web services are going to communicate with each other. And that might change or might not change how we want to model things. But again, my interest I have to admit is more about how are these teams going to ship these different things independently without hard coding all the things and having all these nice decoupled services so that my users can have a consistent experience that doesn't break And where I can ship different things in my different teams quickly. Because that's all I care about. I I should get excited about all these standards. But eventually, maybe one will win. And I'll be glad to see which one it is. But all these things have pros and cons. And I just, just kind of juggled.
0: But no, absolutely. And and, and then talking. I'm about I'm sure stuff,
1: other people will be more penitulated than me.
0: <laughs> no, I, th- I think it's the best way of being really is, you you know, it's again, it, it, it's almost like you can kind of trust initiative of programming languages. People are very passionate about a programming language, but it's the problem it's trying to solve. It's a tool in your belt that you're using, you know, as opposed to I care only about I'm only going to use how that's all I'm going to use. It's the ideology of, OK, it's solving a problem. That's it. You know, yeah. it's solving this problem of, as you say, I want, you know, this kind of being able these variables here. I'm able to, you know, have these easy transitions without everything breaking due to hard-coded, you know, URLs, etc.
1: Yeah. So, I don't know. I, I do like conforming to standards. So if there's a good like open standard, I by all means stick to it. I, HTML, Atom, they're a thing. Don't try to reinvent them, please. <laughs> uh, but when it comes to all these things that aren't yet, like, proper standards... All I care about is, yeah, we're just going to stick to a message format. Don't implement a corporate rule that sort of has crazy rules about how you should write URIs and crazy rules about what resources should be named what. Like, uh, I was
0: wondering about that because now with Hypermedia and this idea that you're you know, essentially passing the URLs to the to the client now, the the idea of a pretty URI doesn't really matter anymore. People used to spend so much time on crafting these perfect URIs. The URI isn't really anything important anymore because of the fact that it's the actions that you're going to be getting back. It could be any URI.
1: You know what? One of the, the, you're absolutely right. I think I had this... Uh, I think it was a few months ago, I was in this, like, we're trying to design an API together. And I think a couple of people were, like, arguing about what the URL should be. And I was like, don't get...
0: Yeah, <laughs> it's, it, it you don't. It doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter because you know. Uh, I mean, what would happen is you'd kind of uh, like baggage on the fact that oh but the uri has got to make sense because it's again it's this kind of intent of the action that's going to happen it's like well no we've got this perfectly good thing here now that clearly expresses that as opposed to baggage it onto the fact that the uri needs to because yeah. people so no i, I
1: it is a, yeah, a much I will, better way I actually do that i just want my operation name to be in plain english where words that people can understand yep. and that that operation name is documented somewhere
0: that's it. And no one, and, and you shouldn't care about the URI because you're doing it wrong if you do, because that all could change and you don't want that.
1: It depends. It depends.
0: And it does depend. And it does depend. That should be a caveat on everything, yeah. Um, and moving on from that, like the third thing you mentioned was the API design tools and tooling around it. Because um, 'cause you've got the, you know, you've got like the idea of JSON LD and you've got the ideas of the collection JSONs, etc. like that. And and designing these APIs has really become more of an i would say not an art that sounds a bit but the kind of more 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 a lot more work has gone into them because if you start caring about the fact you know i've been able to i mean i suppose maybe my my activity of the APIs i've once you know done where it was essentially in the soap world you just oh yeah just create this you know and it would just do a wizard and it would generate these skeletons for you and that's your api as opposed to then oh it's just dump a load of json out now it's kind of thinking of stories and actually like api driven development essentially you know Uh where you're designing these apis up front using tools such as raml i'm just wondering has that you know i know that you've been working a lot in the api space and do you really think i suppose you do actually think about the api first that is really the port of call where you know get a good solid api down first and then you're able to work from there
1: um i would actually argue that's the second thing we do so the first thing is like, what even are we trying to do? That,
0: no, Yeah, <laughs> that, that that is a good then, argument. I'll, I'll take that. I
1: have, I have fallen guilty. I can admit publicly that I have fallen guilty to the whole like, oh, we have all these resources and there is all the cool things we can yep. do. It's Exactly. Take a skip.
0: Yeah, that's it. Take a skip. Yeah, skipping the step of what we're solving. Yeah. even need an <laughs> API in the first yeah. place? <laughs> the first thing you should think of.
1: Yeah. This is why it's so great to work on teams where it's not just, you know, developers and you you actually have lots of like business people and well that is that
0: is it yeah because <laughs> because eventually it's like someone may think oh you know oh i'm going to be able to, to craft a thing it's like actually no you just need a pencil that will solve this problem here's here's yeah. the problem oh you don't even need a computer program here's a pencil that will solve it you yeah. know it, 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 it's horrible for us obviously as design as developers we're oh but we've got to use this cool thing and you really do just skip i mean a lot of our solutions obviously do need programming and do yeah. need these skills but some of them don't and it is as you say it's hard like me i just skipping to the fact yeah just we need to build an api
1: so yeah yeah i think haha it depends (laughs) i do say that a lot um so the way that i've i've seen api designed like on literally on whiteboard and sort of writing down your eyes and looking at all your resources and stuff uh and i found that sort of moderately useful if I have no idea what the domain actually is and what data is available there. But in the real world I hardly find that useful. Uh, so usually it's about like, okay, so what are we trying to do? Uh, we're trying to, you know, do this operation that will need a number of things across a service. And then you start identifying like, Oh, uh, so for this, I will need authentication and for this, I will need my user and I will need my booking service and I will need all those other services. And at that point, you start looking at what operations you already have to find on those services and whether it's just you're going to use those or whether those operations need to be tweaked in a way to like support your new thing. So it usually ends up more in like boxes of what is the different steps of your business process and where is it going to go between all your different services before you can do something, give something useful back to your client? And yeah, there is a bit of like, what is your client API looking, looking like? And how are we going to document that new process? Uh, but to me, most of the work is more like, who am I supposed to talk to in this world? In what order am I going to do things? How What's do the story, I? Story flow. That- None of these things break the other services. How do I make sure that this is like vaguely performant and I do get back to my user eventually? <laughs> you know, that's... Uh, talking
0: I, about that's performance actually is a good thing. Like, have you found that kind of adding on this level of hypermedia, has that been more performant or less performant? Have you found that it or, or just the same as, you know, kind of these big dumps of data, et cetera?
1: Um, I, I it don't depends. I'm yeah. going to
0: say it probably depends. <laughs>
1: No, I don't think hyper I don't think hyper the the use of hypermedia and non-hypermedia affects the performance of your application per se uh, because you know you can go from one step to another using rails or you could just hard code urls and yeah. it's still the same code running behind um but in terms of helping your developers think about how they do their services there and their internal apis that can have interesting consequences and it is hard work
0: because I was thinking the splitting up of stories and, you know, the amount of requests then you may do if you're going next to next to next, as opposed to just giving them everything and things like that.
1: Yeah, it it, it is absolutely hard work. But then it's about doing that thinking of what the different steps are in your process. Yeah. And that's, yeah, that's where you need to work with business people who understand what the domain is. And then you need to know what your different service promises are. But it is actually Easier in a way to do that in a in a world where you just have loads of services with a few operations on all of them, because then you just have your 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 tool belt of here's all my operations. I don't actually care how they're implemented, but here's my (laughs) operations and here's how I can deploy them in this order vaguely to make these things happen. So,
0: Uh, so what experience have you had with like the description languages like RAML and Swagger and API? Because it's a blueprint. I mean, this is another field that has another area. Sorry, that has kind of a few to choose from
1: yeah so i've never used rammel uh i've had good things but i've never used it so i won't <laughs> give any reckons about it uh i've used api blueprint and swagger um the main difference i found is just like markdown versus json but both were open source and both you could generate your documentation from your code and th- that was fairly useful um i think swagger I've struggled with recently when I've moved from here's a bunch of resources with operations and started doing a bit more like and here's my next action and things because Swagger doesn't really support that um so that's where it fell short for me and kind of same with April Blueprint even though they do have a bit of support um I have no particular opinion about which one you should use beyond what is like the thing that your people who are going to design the API understand well? And if it's Markdown, then great. And if it's JSON, then great. And if it's YAML, then great. Um,
0: that's it yeah that's not exactly no I, I, no I mean that's that's true i mean they are very similar tools aren't they and each have maybe a couple of pros and cons of each but yeah as a sort of a kind of yeah generic thing they are solving the same problem yeah. i mean it, i mean suppose getting to a codified prototype solution of things like do, do, do you generate you know would, would you go and use these description languages and tooling to generate a, a mock in quotes api that you then use or do you prefer to build up the api you know in the real in the language you're going to be using it
1: uh it really depends how quickly you need to to build things and how sure you are um yep. like if if we have time to sort of build mini prototypes, then great, we'll just bash out a really quick API and see what happens uh But if it involves like lots of people and I need to communicate my point clearly, then I'd rather have a bit of documentation and we can all look at it together and decide what's best to do um, I think the interesting parts in these is they are tools that enable you to have that process of thinking what That's you want to do,
0: yeah they aid it's discussion weird, like, and things rather like that. than
1: this is the be all and end all and if you don't use swagger uh, <laughs> yeah. your service will dissolve i don't know that's not a thing
0: <laughs> no i mean absolutely yeah it, it aids as you say the discussion it, it sparks the discussion points that could have been happened in maybe a prototype but maybe happened a bit quicker because you were thinking of that you know process in yeah. an earlier time um and like because as you're saying like at the moment you're, you know you're working with python ruby and java i'm just wondering just kind of a, a the more high level there what, the, what kind of you feel has the, what languages have the most what, what kind of is the feeling and within each language because I, I i kind of feel maybe java's more prone as you say to the the corporate soap based ones whereas you know ruby very restful i mean rails was have its own I, concept of rest and ability to do rest apis out of the box i think uh
1: it has resources and uh, implements sort of the get post put delete stuff on resources out of the box uh it doesn't do rest rest out of the box without without a bit of thinking it is possible but i think it's possible in every language um at the moment it so happens that uh like the bulk sort of corporate stuff yeah is written in java but then and we do a lot of sort of sketching and prototyping stuff in ruby and python when we need like super s- small services that we want to play about in um I don't feel... I feel like all these Java is corporate and, you know, Ruby is blah, 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 that kind of comes from history and it comes yeah from- uh, it, it is true I, I mean i
0: am a bit, bit tongue-in-cheek yeah. there when i say that because i mean java has grown well in the last couple of years and i think it's it, again it's, it's a tool so it's how you're using it so you yeah. know obviously people may pen java as being you know this kind of boring old mo- moving machine but it's because you're having to use it in that sense maybe ruby if you started using ruby in a corporate setting you know where you, you have a spec and you can't change it because you know th- there's value in that still you know that way that program was running t- five years ago yeah.
1: I it think would be the it, same. It's just one of these things where it depends. There is no correct answer. It's all about like who is actually you know to hand and what your existing services are and what you're building. Whether you actually care about OO or if you want to do something that is lends itself more to functional or whether you're you know what kind of t- developer tooling you want to have.
0: And, and that's the beauty of HTTP is that you know it neutralizes that, uniforms all that, that the barriers, so as you know to allow us to use these standards that Alain, you know, doesn't matter what the client's using or what the server's using, they're all going to be able to, you know, use these same things.
1: I think eventually it's all about, I want to achieve a good decoupled architecture and i want to promise to the consumers of my api that all the changes to my service will be non-breaking and the way i will honor that that promise and i honor that contract is by implementing those different things you can do with hypermedia that enable you to work like that instead of having to deal with versioning and having to deal with breaking urls and all that horribleness that-
0: so, so another thing with hypermedia, and that is obviously versioning, because as you say, you don't want to break URLs. So what you do is you say, OK, we're going to have to support version one. We'll bump it up and have version two and it's brand new and it's got all these new URLs and et cetera, And it's got this new documentation. So hypermedia is it, due to the fact that it's got this idea of, you know, this variable input, you know, variables where you're able to essentially, you know, tweak where these things are going on, etc. Does that lend itself then not to have to have versioning and you, you just kind of progressively change as and when you need?
1: Like yeah, basically it depends, but yes,
0: Yep, that is, so that, is the 100% aim. that is 100% the that
1: is the percent sweeping. It is impossible to have versioning. Sometimes your business changes so much that you can't even support an operation that you used to support. So obviously you're going to break your contract there. Um, but if 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 it's the same operation that you're doing and there's only minor tweaks, yeah. When I when I start looking at definitions of APIs and it's like slash v9, it's like <laughs> oh
0: no, oh no. Um,
1: because that implies a breaking change, right?
0: That's it. I wouldn't okay. want to be on that chain. I don't chain. care if
1: you're pushing new stuff to your API every day. That's awesome. I just don't want to have to change my client every three months um, because of, you know, changes that you make up. That's,
0: That's it. And, and it, uh, add probably no value to the fact that that bit of work's been out there for a year working as it was and as it should. I don't need yeah. to change these. Absolutely.
1: And yeah. And of course, sometimes, you know, legal frameworks change and, business change and business businesses go down and you do have to you do have like major problems and these things do change but eventually if you're having to version things for let's say business as usual changes i yeah you have bigger problems uh, than (laughs) defining your urls you yeah definitely have bigger problems in how you're writing and architecting your your applications
0: and and finally, uh, again, thank you so much for taking the time to come on. It's been really interesting discussing all these all these points. And I'm just wondering, is there any like resources, other resources that you find valuable, or tools, or applications, or places, or people to kind of follow on Twitter, uh, Follow yourself as obviously you know as well. Uh, <laughs> but, you know anyone else you know you kind of you know looked up to in this space.
1: Oh, sure. Actually, well, my two like blogs that I really read and love in that space and in the space of software architecture in general, it's Martin Fowler and it's Mike Munson. Mike Mike specializes in APIs and he's got some amazing talks out there. And yeah, like he should be on this podcast because he would explain this, so much better than I possibly can, um, but he sort of gets it for the yeah gets it right, and it 's all about decoupling and it 's about software architecture instead of the nitty gritty protocol idiocies <laughs> and um martin Fowler's blog, I think, is just such a great resource it's is
0: amazing isn't it
1: um, because it's not just specifically about apis it's about like you know what is this microservice thing what's going on, and explains it step by step in good. Like user-friendly words, and um, yeah, if there was something that you need to read, then I, I would go with that. <laughs>
0: Thank you, sir. Yeah, no, that I completely agree. And and so, well, sorry, one last thing. I just thought, thought a uh, question came into my mind. There which is the microservices. Like as you said, that is a buzzword now, and, and hypermedia, I suppose, is very much helping the idea, concept of microservices. As you know, these. Because obviously, you know, you want these things not to break when you change them and microservices mm-hmm. are the idea of changing. Have Have you had like, a lot of experience with uh, with microservices and hypermedia?
1: So what I'm doing at the moment is, well, it's, there's quite a few microservices and there is, as most people have, there is this big, big API that we're trying to sort of break into pieces. So that's all the fun. Um, I've had mixed experiences with microservices from a... Um, let's take a bunch of software developers and let's make them do, you know, experiment with things. And it kind of all gets into a bit of yak shave and I've had good experiences with microservices where like they are built around like areas of your business and you have like good multidisciplinary teams working all these different services and that works better. So I can't see any significant difference in the technical approach and how we deployed things and how we did things, but I can see major differences. And the success was the humans working on these different services weren't like siloed in their different specialties. They were, you know, they were regrouped around areas of the business and areas of the product. And suddenly the same types of technical choices that you have available become the correct ones because you're deploying them in a, good way because you're interacting with the humans that you work <laughs> with in a good way because that's all where it comes to right you can I talk absolutely. about all the protocols but eventually the hard stuff is how do you carve up your teams well how do you get all these right disciplines of the right teams and how do you get all these people doing work semi-independently that all contributes to the core product
0: brilliant i think that is no absolutely i completely agree and again thank you so much camille for coming on the podcast it's been really interesting talking to you
1: thank you
0: for having me and sorry for you know a deja vu moment having almost it's almost like we had to have two introductions you never would guess on this recorded episode now but yeah that's for the ether (laughs) (laughs) all right then audience well it's been another great episode of three devs and a maybe and yeah i'll speak to you next week goodbye you've been listening to three devs and a maybe you can contact us at contact at three devs dot com or follow us on Twitter
1: at the number three devs and a maybe.